hello everyone welcome to the journey to develop her podcast episode three i'm here with an amazing young lady erica alexis hi erica hello thank you for having me as you may know i'm deontay chantel and i'm the host of journey to develop her podcast as i stated earlier i'm here with erica alexis and erica can you tell us a little bit about yourself where are you from I'm originally from Berkeley, California. I lived in Berkeley, California for about 18 years, then went off to lovely UCLA and never went back home. So I'm now an LA resident as we speak. Awesome. And what did you study at UCLA? Interesting question. I I, uh, studied sociology. And if I refer back, they said, Sociologists make the best developers because it's the study of people and you're developing communities. So you understand how people operate. So it was accidentally the best choice for my real estate development career choice. Awesome. How did you get started in real estate? That's an interesting question. I would say there were many starts and stops. I started from pushing paper at a lending company as a freshman in college, just didn't even know what I was doing, administrative work to investing in my first property at 21 years old. That was back in the days when you had stated income. So I just wrote a number on a sheet, got approved for a house and thought I was a homeowner. It lasted for about two years and then 2008 happened. And we all know what happened that year. So I ended up 21 with a foreclosure on my credit, scared of real estate, took off running, sprinting full speed, the opposite direction and didn't come back for about six years. Oh, wow. So tell us, are you now an, an investor and a real estate developer? Yes. Okay. Yes. Awesome. So I am both. On the investing side, I mainly invest in construction lending, construction loans on single family residents, just because the margins are easy for me to get into. And then on the development side, I tend to focus on multifamily and mixed use. But with my current project management opportunity that I have right now that's slowly changing. (laughs) So generally commercial real estate development, but on an investment side, residential. Awesome. That's good to hear. So if let me go back to what you first said. So are you saying you're a private money lender for single family homes? Correct. Yes. Awesome. That's good to know. (laughs) (laughs) Yes. I've invested anywhere like here, I would say in California, we do deals typically between fifty and 80000 And I invest directly. And if I don't, I resource out to my friends and family and pull the funds together for the developer. So either way. But yeah, it's been successful. I've been doing that for about three years now. Awesome. And as a private money lender, what qualifications do you normally look for in the investor or developer? That's a great question. I'm glad you asked. A lot of experience. I like to see their experience, their track record. And honestly, a little bit different. I like to hear their mistakes because I like to know what they learned from those mistakes, how they came out of those mistakes. Similar to an interview, you learn a lot by people's failures and how they come out of it. Those are some of the questions we ask. And then we do due diligence on our side. On our side, I say my company is we look at, we do our own underwriting. So so you would give us the address of the property. We would analyze the deal as if we're doing it ourselves, see if your numbers are realistic, if they work and you're able to provide, I would say anything between a 12 to 15% return, then we lend the money. Awesome. I will definitely be in contact (laughs) with you. I don't know if you invest throughout the United States, but I do have projects that I'm acquiring land for. Okay. That I will be working on in about five to six different states, we'll say. Okay. Always looking for opportunities. I'll say that. Yeah, I have them. And I wish we would have spoke prior to this conversation. It's great. At least we're getting the information out now. So that's- I know, that's the first thing I didn't even think about because I was thinking development. I was like, oh yeah, that's just a side thing, but yeah. Right. Yeah, that's that's a great um, business to be in, private money or hard money in some cases, lending. That's amazing. What inspired you to begin your journey as a real estate developer? Oh, that's a loaded question. Honestly, it was a family inspiration. Grandfather moved to California from Nashville, Tennessee on a dream like everybody else to come to California. That's like the best state to some or to many in the United States. 
the only difference is he came with an eighth grade education and a dream. And one skill he had was in masonry. So from he, he built himself from bootstrap, how they say, and he was able to accomplish a lot with a little. Even though he had an eighth grade education, my grandmother had a master's degree. It was a great right. partnership. He had a lot of skills in masonry. So when he came to California, he started to build driveways. And when he started to build driveways, he became very popular through word of mouth. And it went to grocery store docks, recreational centers, apartment buildings. And eventually he ended up a millionaire. And this was all from an eighth grade education. But my grandmother, she had a master's. So they had this operation where he made the money and she managed it. And it turned out very successful. By the time that I was born, he was disabled. So he was no longer able to build. And we practically learned to crawl together. So we grew up really close. He was my best friend. And although he, we lost him at 13, his legacy continued in the family and in the community. He started a program in the Bay Area that was called Men of Tomorrow. And it started in the 1950s where black men would pull their money together to build property because it was hard to get loans at that time. And he was averaging, for a builder, he was averaging about 5,000 a day, which is insane. That's amazing. Um, yeah, so he was really good at his work. He teamed with other builders, with other trades, and they built all kinds of things all over the town. And he started buying homes and selling them until he got enough to buy land. And the apartment building that my mother was raised in was actually his first ground up construction that he built without his construction license because he never could pass the math. And it was successful. So after that, he built seven more apartment buildings and continued his journey. So knowing this growing up, I was privileged because I was able to reap those benefits and understand what it meant to build a legacy, what it meant to build a, a family off of financial stability, and what it, what it meant to come from nothing and to gain everything. So there's no excuse of I didn't have the money or I didn't have the resources or I didn't excuses. Every right. time I think of me, I say, anytime I come complaining, there's an excuse because my grandfather did it in the 1950s. So he really inspired me more in the latter years um, because I grew to love construction. I, I grew to love building and his story kind of fueled me to want to continue that legacy. And I think what inspired me the most is we lost everything in 2008 in the real estate crash. Multi-millions that my grandfather had built we own several homes, several apartment buildings, businesses, so forth. So to have all of that and to lose, it created a fire in me where it was like, oh, no, that's not fair. My family deserves that. I'm going to get it back. So that, right. that's where my fire and my drive come from. I love it. I love that that story that you just gave us and that journey. That's a beautiful journey for your grandfather, for you. It, it's even for anybody, especially now in 2020, there's no reason why anyone should say, oh, I can't get started because of X, Y, and Z. Exactly. There's no excuses. We have too many reasons. Too many. Like, even when I got started, I had a job, so I can say that. But my credit was bad. I didn't have any capital. Wow. But I, but I got started. Okay? Nice. <laughs> I started, I did start out as, well, initially back in 2011, I had just graduated from undergrad and my friend convinced me to get into real estate. Literally, that's what it was. I already had a sales background, but I was supposed to go into law. I was supposed to be a lawyer. And somehow I ended up into real estate as a real estate agent. And I liked it. I loved it. You know, I loved the culture of real estate. And fast forward a couple of years, I actually started doing, I did go back into law. I became a real estate paralegal and a probate paralegal. And I did that for about five years. But in the mix of doing that, I started learning real estate investments. And I learned how to wholesale. So wholesaling actually nice. was the key to me breaking into real estate as an investor. And after a really bad tr wholesale transaction, I was motivated to stop selling out my communities to people that were not from my community. Mm. I was giving away all the good properties. I was finding all the good deals. I was work. I had great relationships with REO agents and banks. And I was literally just wholesaling properties to investors. And this one terrible transaction 
motivated me to keep the properties. I actually found a private money lender. He was able to, my partner introduced me to him. He was able to give me the money so I could actually do my first fixer upper. It was great. And over time I got into development, but initially my first thought of real estate was actually development. I wanted to build homes in the urban community. So that's what I'm working on now. That's just a little backstory about me. Um, but I love your to hear your grandfather's you know, legacy and journey that he experienced. Yeah, definitely. Because I think that's, that's what inspired kind of the uh, core values that I use. I think they were instilled in me in a, a young age and they apply to development. So right. some of the things was you always have to own something. He didn't care what it was. You just have to own something. Right. You have to learn to be frugal. So you keep what you own. You have to have a good reputation because most of his business was built on word of mouth. Still today, real estate is yes. you know built on word of mouth. Like you said, work on your credit. We were taught to have good credit, set high standards. And, and lastly, it's just to do something that carries a legacy of integrity for your family name. So that those are the core things that he instilled in me. And I think I would probably just, not have ambitions as high if I wasn't built on that foundation of love and the feeling that I was supported as a child to do anything and just to have these pillars in my background. Because you said you were supposed to be a lawyer. Yeah. I, I, when I was young, I said I wanted to be an international businesswoman and it was the simple reason. I just wanted to travel a lot and carry a cool briefcase. So. And you still, and technically, real estate yeah. is international. Exactly. So it's still in my plan. My story, I, my undergrad degree is in political science. Okay. So as a developer, it's very political. Yes. And they is. look at my resume all the time. They're like, wow, you're a poli-sci major? Yes, I am. You have a law background because my minor was in pre-law studies and paralegal studies. So you That's a powerful background to have yeah. in real estate. Thank you. Yeah. Because uh, could you not? Everybody I shake hands with is account in politics. Like, they're the ones approving my deals when it comes to city the city planners, council exactly. members. Yeah, everything behind how to work that. Exactly. Yep. And I started a nonprofit. So it's all being pieced together, surprisingly, but it's all being pieced together over time. So, how many years have you been in real estate? I wouldn't count the starting and stopping that I mentioned earlier. So, about nine years. Nine years. Awesome. And do you remember your first real estate development project? Yes, it was very fun, very scary, very, it, it was, it turned out accidentally becoming a large project. So I'll, I'll make this a short story, but I had a business partner at the time and he, was, he knew my grandparents and he knew the story. And we were traveling because I had saved up about $30,000 and I was looking to invest. And the, he said, okay, the only market you'll invest in is Detroit and Las Vegas. <laughs> so I had a packet of deals that I was looking at. I drove every last one of the properties in Detroit and I crossed every single one off the list because none of them penciled out. And we started from ground zero. But what I didn't know, and this is the power of, I think, partnership and leverage, is he had a great credit line. So the next day we had a meeting with a real estate agent. And for some reason, the agent just kept showing us all these large parcels of land. And I'm like, what is this? We're supposed to be looking at homes. And he goes, your grandfather would want you to think bigger. And so he says, what would you build on this lot? And I would say it was probably, we ended up building 60,000 square feet on it, but it was a very wow. large lot. It was a few acres. And he said to me, he said, what would you build on this lot? And I said, Oh, I was uneducated at the time in real estate. So I said, oh, those things with the uh, with stores on the bottom and the housing on the top. He said, a mixed use development. I said, yeah, that is, that's it. That's right. <laughs> and that was how I started. I, I entered my first development deal. Fortunately, it was a 46 unit mixed use development project in Detroit. So my role in that was structuring the financing, which we secured, it was successful. And I taught myself along the way. So definitely don't need an education to do real estate. <laughs> Absolutely. No, it's, it's literally about leveraging partnerships, like you said, being the organizer, facilitator, putting the pieces together. Because one person may not have it all together, but if you have someone with the good credit, someone with the money, yep. someone who knows how to build or have connections to builders, pretty much have a development team. 
and you can consider yourself being a developer of course once the project gets up and running and it's actually a successful project i would say that's when you're a real developer that's awesome and i've had part my main partner who's she basically was a female as well and she took me under her wing and i started doing rehabs we're in the process of building 10 homes wow in new jersey we're starting on the smaller scale two unit houses something easier but one of the lots we will be able to build about 40 units so depending on how smoothly the first 10 properties seven properties go that last lot is three lots in one we should be able to just put a 40 unit building on it and have fun with that project so. How are you phasing that construction plan for those for those projects? So to be honest with you, we'll be doing modular and pre-engineering or prefab houses okay. to get it done. Um, mainly because in our market, the wet the climate, the weather climate is really bad. We don't want to get stuck in between projects it's and going into the fall. Right, and a lot of infrastructure that's going up right now like especially in the New York City area, they're all using prefab. So the buildings, the high-rise buildings that they're putting up is prefab. Okay. Uh, my fiance is a builder and he nice. connected me with his old counterparts where he's from. Okay. So we have the companies that are sourcing most of the buildings in New York and a lot of the other, I think in the Long Island area, they've been putting up mansions literally and they're all modular and they're all prefab. And I didn't know. I was like, who knew that they did mansions? I didn't even know at one point that they did high-rise buildings. Stepping into the I building. didn't know that they did high-rise yeah. buildings. Yeah. That's educational for me. So it just saves a lot of money just in case oh, they go over budget. Yeah, it's definitely the future. Yep. And it definitely cuts the time. So that's also cutting into the costs. When you but, go over yeah. schedule, you know, the weekly budget just goes up or brings your budget up and it's also good for climate you're building up part uh, parcels of a property or pieces of a property in a climate controlled environment so yeah. they literally take like half a football field and they have a warehouse and they're building the pieces of the property on in that warehouse Interesting. It's pretty cool definitely have to research more of that yeah I, they definitely have a company out in california I'll say there's companies throughout the United States, definitely. Awesome. So I know they have it out there. <laughs> it's so funny. Last year, I, I want to say last summer, I was going to reply to um, <laughs> RFQ or RFP. I'm sorry, RFP. Mm -hmm. um, they had for affordable housing. So they was looking for developers to build affordable housing uh, development in or apartment buildings in California. I believe it was Los Angeles County. Uh-huh because apparently California has the need for affordable housing and not only for resident, not only for rentals, but for home ownership as well. Because I didn't have my paperwork in order for California, I, I missed the deadline, but I think I'm sure it's coming back. They were giving away money as well from the municipality to build uh, what they needed for the communities there. Yes, they offer a lot of tax credits. Mm -hmm. Right now, what type of development projects or real estate projects do you develop? Right now, currently, I am working in project management. You said you mentioned something about a job. So this is my day job. I'm project managing a $26 million. I'm responsible for a $26 million budget um, on a police facility. So it's an essential building, COVID building. But yes, and then I'm also on a smaller scale restructuring my own um, financial statement to qualify for another investment property. And then my long-term project that I'm working on, so I'm working on three right now, is that we're looking to, I'm building a team to develop on 50 acres in Mississippi. So I might need to talk to you about that, mo those modular homes. Let's talk. Yeah. An option. Um, yeah, I, meant to, I meant to mention earlier that my grandmother was born in Jackson, Tennessee. Wow, yeah. Tennessee is a great. We, we might be kinfolk. We might. We might be. I'm actually putting together a family union at the moment. So 
It'll be, it won't be a surprise. Yep. And my grandfather, he is from Natchitoches, Louisiana. I wow. I've never heard of that, but yeah, he's from Louisiana. So my roots are from the my South. from Louisiana. So watch out because we might be related. Yeah, we might. We won't. Um, so yeah, that's awesome. There's a lot of opportunity in the South. Um, we're even oh, I'm learning. At- I just tapped into this market maybe two months ago when this opportunity came across my desk and I'm like, what have I been doing? <laughs> yeah, the South, the, the Midwest. So I'm also, I purchased two two residential properties in Kansas City, Missouri. And one of the houses came with the land and we're like acquiring about six to 10 acres of land also out there. It's just land and farmland and just, it's a lot of stuff happening out there. And also I noticed Alabama has a lot of land. Yes, I just heard about that as well. They're looking for a lot of outside investors to come in in Alabama. Quick question in the Missouri farmland. Mm-hmm. Um, did you see a lot of resistance when you discuss the zoning? Like if you're changing from agricultural to residential or was it kind of zoned for both? Because that's what I'm seeing in, in, in where am I going? Jackson, Mississippi. Is right. that, I'm seeing that it could be zoned for both. Yeah, some of them were zoned for both. One that I saw, it was extremely cheap. I want to say it was over 15 acres and it was like 50,000. Okay. And they said it had, it was only for farm farming. So I said, okay, but that's still not bad. I thought that was amazing. I was like, maybe you will get them to change their mind one day, but I thought it was a great idea. And um, but for the most part, you can do either or. Okay. Yeah. That's what I'm saying too. Just depends on what the community wants. Exactly. And they do have their neighborhood associations that you have to get approvals from. And, but I think as long as they're benefiting from the change in the community, the up revitalizing the community, they're pretty much okay with it, but they do have 15 different organizations you have to go through before they say yes. So it's like going through city council. Typically city council would vote on your plans. So it's very similar. Awesome. Awesome to know. Yep. Yeah, we'll definitely talk about that in further detail. Why do you think mindset is important? A good mindset is important to have in real estate development. I think you have to have a good mindset because you have to have the tenacity to persevere, right? I'm going to get cheesy here for a minute, but Les Brown always says, if you can look up, you can get up. And I believe as long as you protect your vision, you can always pivot through any situation. Because your vision is what carries you through. Your vision is what leaves you open-minded to think about other things that you maybe didn't think could happen in that moment. So I think as long as you have a solid vision, no matter how many times you fail, it's inevitable you're going to reach that vision. I agree a thousand percent. And I feel like when God gives us that vision, that means it's already already written. It's already said. We know it can happen because he gave us that vision. So I agree with you a thousand percent. Yep. And I have to look into Les Brown. You're like the third person that mentioned his I name this weekend. And I haven't mentioned him in a few years, so that was just for you. Yes. A lot of people are scared to get started in, or jump into real estate. Did you feel this way in the beginning? I would say I still feel fear every day. We made, a, I think we're at about, I'm not afraid to say this, we're at about $400,000 in mistakes right now. And we're about a year into the project. We have a year to go. And what I would say to others is don't let the fear paralyze you. Instead, internalize it and let it inspire you. And I say that because you don't want to get stuck in the project to fail. You still have to carry it through. I I think if the fear goes away, you've become accustomed to to your current projects and it's time to grow a little bit. So you feel little, I think a little bit of fear is good. Challenging yourself out of your comfort zone. I agree. I definitely agree. For some reason, I haven't had much fear when it comes to real estate. Wow. Because I've just been, I don't know, I'm such a visionary and a dreamer. Yeah, so I'm like, all right. I saw it, like I had dreams about skyscrapers. I'm like, that means maybe one day I'll build one. Who knows? Who knows what it would have meant? But I feel like sky's the limit. And I'm going to see mostly everything I want to achieve in life, see it come to pass. 
but I do realize when it's like the business side of it, I get fearful. When I have to network with people, I'm scared. It's, it's like, really? I'm an introvert. An agent? That is the first. <laughs> like when I have to like, when I'm meeting the politicians, I'm scared. Oh, okay. Okay. When I'm networking so with, I don't know. What do you think is the main reason? Is this nervousness? I think it's more nervousness. I think I'm just a shy person. So I'm just like, I don't know. Okay. I have to just work on that. Even doing a podcast, I had to get out my own way with that. So my fear comes in different weird ways. Yeah. So I guess this is the communication side of things. I fear, but setting the goals out, achieving the task on the goal list. That's yeah. So strategizing. No fair. <laughs> Talking to people fair. <laughs> I'll tell you one point because I love meeting with politicians. First thing is crack a joke some kind of way. That lightens the load and they're like, hey, okay, this person is normal. We can talk to right. They're probably just as nervous. What is she going to ask me? What does she want to talk about? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it, you're absolutely right. They like to laugh. They're regular people. Yeah. They just want to know, what are you going to do for my community? And I'm going to talk about the community. Like I'm all my business model is all about community that's awesome that's so, because you're a developer <laughs> exactly yeah because there's there's developers out there they're just in it for the money they never even slept in those communities they don't know those communities right and that's why that. it's so important for more devel black developers to be present yeah and to, to learn real estate and invest because we make up our communities and, and if we don't take care of it no one else will Exactly. And that's what happens. And then when someone else has an interest in our community, everything goes up and we can't afford to live there. So it's very important for us to stick together and rebuild our communities ourselves. Were you going to say something? I think I cut you I off. I would say one thing to that. Yeah, I was going to say one thing to that really is important to me. You mentioned developers, but I think any members of the community before gentrification occurs, always have has the power to change the plan. So when I go into a community and I'm looking to develop, I don't care if it's a multifamily, a house, anything, mainly with commercial, but when we go into the communities, the first thing we do is we attend the community meetings, right? The city council meetings, the neighborhood council meetings. And it's so, it always, surprises me how few people are in there. You may have one or two neighbors and then the rest is the development team. And then guess who wins the vote? It doesn't matter because the local population did not show up. So whether it's fighting Airbnb investments, whether it's proposing a multifamily affordable housing projects or whatever the case may be, I always encourage just my friends Mm -hmm. Go support the community. If you live in the zip code, near the zip code, go write your name on that list and state your opinion. It might be something as little as if you bring your development to our community, we're going to need uh, permit parking so that the new residents don't steal our parking. If we own a house there and it's an apartment building going up or mm -hmm. no, we don't want bike riders in our city. We've heard that before too. <laughs> so it's like these things that you have the power to change but a lot of people don't even know these these meetings exist. They don't Google them, see what times they are. They're open to the public. Anybody can join, anybody can build anywhere. But we have the power in the beginning if we are in the room when they present the project. You can say no, you can say yes, or you can negotiate, you better offer this, or make sure it's affordable, or make sure that it looks like this, or make sure that you actually cater this to entrepreneurs because that's our demographic right now. So that's very important that you touched on that. I think anyone, not even developers, but I think anybody in communities that's, that care about where you live, especially if you own, you should attend those at least once a quarter. Preach, sister. <laughs> I got passionate really quickly. No, I I'm, see it too often where I'm like, we could have done it. We just need a street light. And it's <sighs> even when it comes to everything that has gone on the last... I don't know what month are we in August, the last couple of months, the change is really with us. Like we, we put these people in office, even locally, forget about the white house. The local politicians are oh, even more important. important. That's where it starts. And people don't even know who they councilmen or women exactly. are. Exactly. Who's taking those letters to the white house? 
we don't even know those I do, but we, most people don't know those people. Yeah. Anyway, if you don't like it, you can do something about it. Exactly. Right from your, starting with your councilman or even, I think it, I don't know all the levels, but. Assemblyman. You assemblyman can, exactly. Yeah, you, can, you can go to the mayor. You can, there's so many avenues. Exactly. And a lot of mayors, what I could say is I grew up in Newark, New Jersey, so I can, I could speak about, I can compare the Newark, New Jersey mayor and compare him to where I live now in East Orange and compare him to where I graduated college from, which is Montclair. And he's so based on community. Like he cares if his community is being gentrified. He literally has in city hall, stop gentrification, but he does want the revitalization. He wants that, but he doesn't, he want to make sure that people in Newark from Newark for it to stay in Newark. He wants them to spend their money in Newark. So he's an advocate for business, small businesses in Newark, just to keep that money there. Cause a lot of the money that the Newark people earn is spent out of the city of Newark. So he's always advocating for that. He's advocating for female and male black or minority developers in Newark. So I just think that's beautiful. And if all of the other urban area mayors could implement that structure, of course, along with the community, knowing who, just simple as knowing who their politicians are, voting the right people in, even starting neighborhood associations, we would have a totally different urban setting. It just comes down to understanding the government structure, what we can and cannot do. Exactly. And also how real estate or not even real estate, how it all trickles down to economics and economic development and communities. So it's all related. And some people just don't know. <laughs> Earlier, we mentioned that you had a real estate partner in one of your first development projects. And what would you say is some of the important things you consider before partnering with someone on a deal? Um, that's a good question. I think when you're looking for a partner, it's very important for them to share similar values and a similar vision. And it, it's important to be definitive in that vision because I think you most, both might say, I want to build this building. But one of you might say, like we were just talking about, I want to build it for the community. The other one may say, I want to build it for profit. Now you have a clash. So I think it's it's really important to understand the values of the person you're dealing with and the vision and clarify if it's the right vision. Another thing I would say is someone who has a good reputation. In this business, it's a large business. It's a small business. In construction and development, everybody knows everybody or they know someone that knows you. So it's really important to know who you're dealing with because that may get you a denial on a loan deal. That may get you a higher rate on a construction cost. So definitely that. And I think another thing is to be financially stable. And if you're not financially competent for them to have a lot of experience that you can leverage. Everybody doesn't have the funds, but they may have 10 years of experience that you can tag on your executive summary and make the deal go as expected. So I would say, of course, the essentials, make sure everything's in writing. And also don't be afraid to discuss the worst case scenario. If we were to dissolve the corporation, what would that look like? And how would it all come about? Because planning is essential. I don't care if you're planning for failure or planning for success. That was awesome. That was a great explanation. Oh, thank you. Lessons learned. <laughs> Lessons learned. That's, a, that's amazing. Definitely can agree a thousand percent on reputation. Um, a lot. Yeah. Because then you're a part of that reputation, whether you want to be or not. It's like, I'm innocent. It's like guilty by association. Sorry. Yes. I can absolutely agree with that. I've seen it firsthand myself. I'm not saying my partner in particular, but just associating with people. Yep. In real estate, even if they just know each other, they yep. could automatically assume that you're just as guilty as the person that did the, not the crime, but they had the mishaps with. <laughs> so it, it happens. Advice, maintain yep. a good reputation. <laughs> exactly. And watch the company you keep because if one developer 
had a house that was we built a house and it fell down and then you're associated with them and the city knows they're gonna no we're not working with you that guy and literally i've seen it happen with my own eyes wow even when it comes to zoning or building departments in the the municipality if you're associated with the wrong plumber or the wrong electrician one person on your team they won't deny your application what do they say you're strong is your weakest link exactly (laughs) so that's very true in real estate because it's a very small industry Um, so as a female developer in a male dominated industry are there any obstacles that you have faced or still face because of your gender this is a very interesting question and i would have to say i have not faced anything due to my gender i grew up a tomboy the male dominated because it's male dominated is part of the reason why I have a knack for it. I think I've always been respected. And I think if you carry yourself genuinely caring about others in the role that they serve to make a deal work, I think that people will essentially respect you. And I also use my femininity as my power. I tend to nurture my guys, but in a stern way. So it's still respected. It's genuinely that feminine side of I care for your well-being. And then I also care about my bottom line, a great blend between the two. But I think that um, it is essentially how you carry yourself because I have experienced the comments of, yeah, you can't join us with this, with putting on this roof, but you can be our cheerleader in a skirt. I've heard things like that. But let's go back to reputation. I have a reputation of getting things done. I have a reputation of knowing how to build. I have a reputation of knowing how to use a hammer. One comes the confidence of that's funny and cute, but let's get down to the real deal kind of attitude and sternness. And then the other thing is having people speak to that. I've been in positions where my crews have said, you're talking to the wrong person. She's not that type of woman. She actually gets things done. Or you might want to follow her lead because she knows how to basically get things done. So I think it's all in how you carry yourself, what you're willing to accept and how you take it. One thing I learned especially in the industry I'm in now with public, I'm in, I'm on a public works project. It's not only male dominated, but it's Caucasian male dominated. Mm -hmm. It's, it's all in what you, and especially with the movement going on right now, it's all in how you respond, right? You cannot be reactive. Every thought has to have an action, but you still have to stand your ground. You still have to stand in your truth and you still have to what? Know your vision and know why you're there. And I think with those, I think you can intervene in a lot of the, potential chaos that you can potentially face if you just take accept that I'm a woman in the industry. Agreed. Definitely. And one thing is always take a powerful seat at the table. That's right. That's right. <laughs> I, I love your energy. Oh, thank you. Love it. Love it. Love it. So typically, because I think we didn't really talk about this. How do you find, do you have any pointers on how to find projects, development projects or land projects, land development projects, we'll say? So this is not fair to other developers, but all of my projects have come from word of mouth. I've been blessed. I worked as a commercial agent for a few years. I developed a lot of relationships with other agents during that time. I developed a lot of relationships with owners in the community that I was developing in. And I think it's just a downwards, upward spiral effect, right? So a lot of them understand what I do. They know people from my team and we get our deals that way. Like the Mississippi deal came from word of mouth. The Detroit came from an agent, but all the ones that I've you know been involved with in LA have essentially come word of mouth. However, I do have a team of about seven agents that are continuously shopping deals and sending them my way and giving me first dibs, or I can send it out to my network if I pass, so. Awesome, that's amazing. And we spoke about construction teams. Mm-hmm. You have one that's a, that definitely supports you on the job site and mm-hmm. respect you. How did you go about, how do you fi- normally find people to add to your construction team? So initially, I started in an interesting way. I started uh, volunteering my time. So I found local contractors and I literally rose my hand and said, hey, can I come work for you for free? And when they saw my hustle and they saw me learning, um, this was a few years. This was when I first started. I did it for about a year and a half. 
they felt bad not paying me because they're like, you're working harder than my guys. I wanted to understand what it was like from the ground level. Okay. So whoever I'm hiring, I want to be able to understand what they go through day to day. And when I tell you the amount of work that I did kept me sitting on my living room couch for about five hours when I got home, I respect what everybody does on every project. But also during this time, I developed relationships. I developed trust. I developed re reputation. And I just became familiar in the industry. One, because of course I was the only girl at that time. And then two, because I had a reputation of working and caring right. about the others. I think it's understanding who the contractors are in your community, finding out what you can offer to them. Mine was giving them my time. And now it's just, I try to keep them busy with deals if I have some that they can get on. But I think if you invest in your crews, they'll invest back into you. And then like minds attract, right? The crews yeah. grow and they bring people that they want to also work and they know the mindset and, and, and you train them as such. So you have to awesome. find something, contribute, something to contribute to others. Awesome. And how do you typically fund your projects? I think we spoke about you normally get in other investors or people with money private sources of money to pull their money together or in so that's for more like my short-term investments and that's okay. just the cash flow mm -hmm. for development deals we shop the market our we we had an actual bank lender uh lend us the deal i think we were approved for 12.5 uh million in a, in a construction budget and that was from a bank so okay. it, it's really important to build your executive summary with the right team and to make sure, like you said, if, if you're not strong financially, that partner has to come stacked. And then aside from that, who you choose as your architect can speak volumes. They made a lot of leniencies on us financially because we had a strong architect. So they knew that, you know, they had the capacity to build what we were trying to build. So I think it's really important to try all avenues, get with lenders, construction lenders, see what they're looking for. A lot of people do hard money loans, which is fine, but in, in development deals, you want to go with construction lenders or construction loans that you can refinance when you're going to a permanent, when you right. have a permanent finance deal. A lot of times I think you're easily approved if you work backwards. So if you already have your permanent financing, you already have your refinancing plan, how you're going to get out of that construction deal, you can always work back and, and use that as clout. Hey, we already have somebody that wants to build the project once it's complete, buy the project once it's complete. We just need you to finance the construction. I think that's a great angle to always position development projects. I agree. Now, do you also have a say in what, what your cap rate would be? Like what your ideal cap rate is on a project or what your return is on a project? Yes. So I build, so I build my cap rate. So that project was 2015. So just to give you an idea of some numbers, we had a projected value of 24 million. We had a projected construction loan at about 16 million. We were financed 80, 85% loan to value. So we were able to secure 12.5 million. We brought in 2 million equity, land equity. Right. And then we had to fundraise the remaining 2 million. And it was 60,000 square foot of, of property. So we were able to acquire a permanent financing lender that came in at 24 million, which at a 75% LTV was about 18 million. So we were able to use that as leverage. Hey, there's a lot of equity in the deal. We still have four to six million if we mess up, you right. know, um, even if our contingency is only 500,000, we still have a lot of equity that can cover. It's really important for you to do your own underwriting first, establish your own cap rate, and then back it. Because if you back your cap rate, they know your market, they know your community, they know your end value, and it's less questions at the end of the day when it comes to approval or not. And just for the community, the people out there that don't know, what is a good cap rate in your space? So I, I believe you're doing commercial real estate now. I'm doing commercial real estate in Los Angeles. And right now, we a realistic cap rate is 5%. Okay. Yeah. If you are able to achieve a 5 or 6% cap rate in Los Angeles, that's considered a good investment deal. Agreed. That's the same for New York. Cause okay. Very high. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Yeah, or very low. I'm saying, sorry. Yeah, very low. Because most buildings I've analyzed, they're doing like three percent. I'm like, no. <laughs> so when I say five or six percent, people not in real estate, are, that's it. Mm -hmm. And I'm like, one, 
you're dealing with a larger tax bracket, okay? And then two, it, you have to look at the market. The, the market is tapped out, you know? Right, yeah. The investments are gone. So right. you have to be realistic. Yeah, and I try to educate people that when you're doing residential, the cap rate is going to be different from commercial. Yes. yes. So residential, 5% is awful. <laughs> you want to be 10 and up. Not 10 and up, but 10 is okay. I've seen nine... It depends on if the neighborhood would appreciate, of course. Mm -hmm. um, I do like to be a little higher, but that's why you diversify. Exactly. <laughs> when you purchase the house, that's where you're getting all of your equity. Make sure you're exactly. buying it low enough. Yep. Don't depend on adding equity or building equity. What is it? Property. Yes. You have to be realistic with your numbers. Exactly. So where do you see yourself going in real estate development? Ooh, okay, so we talked about the fear. Zach. Right. <laughs> you seem um, fearless to me. I don't say dream big. Okay, my five year, I would say in five years in development, I would like to see, wait, let me back up. Because I have a five year plan. Okay. Okay, what's your five year plan outside of real estate? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I would just say my five year plan is what we discussed is to get this Mississippi development off the ground have a successful project. And I would say my long-term plan, because I don't have a number of years to get there yet, but is to sneak back into that international market and build um, communities in Africa. That's my long-term plan. Beautiful. What part of Africa? What country in Africa? Um, right now I'm looking at Ghana. I'm doing all my research in Ghana just because they're so open to outside development. They're calling us home. They're telling us to bring our expertise. And that's Primarily the reason why I focused in the area that I did for project management, I'm focused on electrical and solar because that was two of the main markets that they need there. So I just wanted to really understand how to run work in those arenas. That's beautiful. I just did a podcast episode with an investor in Jamaica. Wow. Yeah. So many may not know, but they probably will know by, by the time this episode airs that I'm half Jamaican. So when I went to Jamaica for the first time, like two to three years ago, wow. I just saw all the opportunity. Like I could just see things sometime before it, it gets built out. And they have a lot of abandoned buildings in the downtown area of Kingston. And that's from all of the things that happened in the past, but they haven't really been rebuilding those communities. Mm -hmm. And of course, near the main tourist attractions, they have little small areas where people have started development projects and then they just abandoned them. So I'm like, what's going on there? So there's a lot of land in Jamaica also, a lot of opportunity. What, what part of Jamaica? This is in, every time I go on vacation, so it's normally like Montego Bay, Ocho Rios definitely has a lot of land and opportunity. Jamaica definitely um, a hotspot for development. Ghana definitely. I know one of my good classmates, my old classmates from high school, I think someone either gave him land or he bought it. I'm not sure, but he bought it for extremely cheap. Each lot is worth a half a million dollars now. So I think he paid less than $5,000. Oh, I mean, I'm going to tell you how old I am and what year this was in. <laughs> now, it's okay. He's a millionaire, basically, in land in Ghana. He's from Ghana originally, or his family is from there. So, yeah, it's a lot of opportunities. They're always looking for foreign investors to come there and build. And, it, yeah. And what Akon is about to do in the Senegal area, I believe he's doing it in Senegal. Don't quote me. But, yeah, Africa as a whole is going to go to another level I when it comes to... to dabble in, in this lifetime. Yeah, so... Hey, I might be joining you. Yes, you will. You just don't know it yet. I'm joining you right over there. So, let's see. Oh, we didn't talk about, like, regular residential properties. Do you own any, as an investor, do you own any residential properties? Yes, I own a rental property in Texas, and I own an Airbnb that I operate on and operate in Los Angeles. Awesome. And, and yeah, just trying to, what I want to do is... If, in the next two years, have at least a million in assets. So just trying to position myself for more investment property so that I can have the income to help me with future projects. Awesome. And I'm sure in the California market, that only takes about 
what, two, three, yeah. four, three? I got one more. <laughs> oh, say, you're almost there. <laughs> Those oh, houses so are sad. expensive. So say that. It is so sad, but that's where we are. Yes. One of my mentees, she's from the Los Angeles area, and I'm trying to help her buy her first home through FHA for now. And she's also a realtor. She's just, the market is nuts. Is. I'm sure you have pockets that are lower, maybe an hour away. She said, yeah, they're, they're an hour away. I was like, just commute for a year. And in LA is a two or three hour commute. <laughs> oh, she, I forgot the name of the town, but she said it was about 45 minutes to an hour from Los Angeles. I forgot Tom, the name of the town. Bernardino, uh, what else? Sounds familiar. <laughs> yeah, those are like the lower. And Arizona. they were about 200,000, I think. Yeah, probably it, it looks like it's in the middle of a desert, but there were other de developments near it. So I'm like, that's not too bad. Somewhere east or north, yep. <laughs> yep, but that's good. So you're almost there. So what has been your biggest accomplishment so far? I think dusting my shoulders off and getting back up. I think consistently going towards my vision has been my biggest success and accomplishment. And I, I, I think owning, right, mm -hmm. successfully, because I went through the foreclosure the first time. So I think coming back to that and owning again has been my, my biggest accomplishment because my goal was to establish three investment properties before I buy my first home. I think on that track is my accomplishment. I think that's a beautiful journey, a beautiful story. A lot of people, they don't like to discuss the mishaps. And I think you mentioned this earlier. They just want to probably glorify how much money they make. They are. Look what yeah. I did. It's like, you got there from some kind of mistake. Right. And I tell people all the time, like, I, I lost a lot starting out. Even now, sometimes I'm still learning as well, especially with COVID, I think a lot of landlords got hit. A lot of people in general, everybody got hit. I think COVID humbled everyone, including celebrities. Everyone yep. was humbled. Yep. <laughs> what is really important? And I feel like I didn't ask you how you were doing during COVID, but I'm sure you're well. I hope your family was well, is well and doing okay. But yeah, COVID was a, definitely an eye-opener for myself and many others. And I even had investors contact me because, you know, I do work also as an agent. So I've had some contact me like, yeah, these tenants are not paying rent. Do you have, because I, as an agent, most of my clients were homeless families. So I work closely with nonprofits and I helped place homeless families in apartments. So um, a lot of those programs paid, yeah, it was pretty cool and interesting. A lot of those programs pay the rent. So landlords are like, yeah, I need that program. I'm like, you shouldn't have discriminated before <laughs> because you would have had that tenant in there. So the government covers, or is it like subsidies or how does that work? With so, yeah. So this particular program, they went from paying, they used to pay the year's rent up front, which was amazing. Like literally would give you the entire 12 months rent up front. Wow. Now they're operating like section eight where they pay you monthly, but they'll pay you the whole amount. But after that year, that person is responsible for the rent. All of the families were working families. So I must say some of them work for the nonprofit. Some had different jobs, but they, they were working. That's the only way you can qualify. And it seems to be working. Okay. Some people, of course, don't uphold the jobs, but that's not a huge percentage. And then I, as a realtor, I've seen a lot of people just, just discriminating against section eight renters and now they wish they had them because they're the only ones paying the rent because the government is paying it so i see a lot of i wear a lot of different hats in the real estate industry and i see a lot of things and i think god has positioned me that way so i can help provide solutions so i i'm able to see who gets discriminated against what communities need help or assistance so just different avenues i get to see how the world really works and I think in the past, I was naive until I got into real estate. Like, it taught me a lot about how the world works. To sum that up. <laughs> what are the skills you already had or learned along your real estate journey that have helped you become a successful real estate developer? I think the biggest thing is 
connecting people, right? So if you think about a developer, I, I compare it to the conductor of an orchestra, right? The timing, the instrument sound of what to blend together in order to create the melody. So as cliche as this sounds, being a people person, understanding the talents that everybody has and their strengths and weaknesses that, you know, they have and leveraging that I think has been a great skill set that I've had just from practice of just from my friendships that I've able, been able to apply. But if you were to talk about some analytical skills, one thing that I did, there's one thing to talk about fear and there's something about facing your fear. And um, in college, I was not that great in math. So I actually went back to community college about four years ago, studied algebra again. And how that helped me with development is it made me understand property valuation. It made me understand reading financial statements, financial analysis, working on my own personal budget, how to build spreadsheets to paint a picture for a development. Even though it's out of the box, not many people think of it, it it's, I think that knowing the mathematics that go into a deal and understanding what the, the numbers mean, bringing them to life is also a strong skill that I developed um, during my time in real estate. Awesome. You're the first person ever that actually credited algebra for anything. Because <laughs> <laughs> when you're like in sixth grade, you're like, what do I need to know for? Uh, to this day, I'm like, high school was a way, oh, good. Hey, high hey, school hey, and hey, college, because hey, I was hey, in remedial math. How do you get to your cap rate? Well, Division. yeah, no, math, basic math. But arithmetic, correct. Well, Net present value of money. It's all algebra, future value of money. I, you know what? You, I never thought about it. See, that's how much I, I know about math. Like, I don't, I, I hated it. Hate, hated it. I did study for about two weeks until you have the drop period in college. <laughs> I took, <laughs> I took statistics. So to, right. statistics is important as well. Right. But ooh, algebra and algebra two, I'm like, where on earth am I ever going to learn slope or deal with slope? Geometry was even more relative. But yeah, I thought that was pretty interesting that you mentioned that. <laughs> but I always do tell people, <laughs> I always do tell people that you need to know your eva like how to evaluate a deal, how to analyze a deal, what percentage you need to be at, yes, to know that the deal makes sense that you're not going to lose your whole shirt in the business yeah so that is important i'm, I'm glad someone did finally credit algebra. <laughs> i mean i'm going down in history making you are. It. you are this is great how can people stay connected to erica alexis wait before we even get there what's the name of your company alexis oh yes uh bridgeline development incorporated is my company i formerly operated under dennis holdings but now it's changed to bridgeline development and I'm trying this social media thing as how we met. My personal is at Alexis Global. My business that only has one image, don't judge me right now because I'm building it, is Bridgeline Dev, just the EV at the end. And if you or anyone listening to this podcast would like to um, shop some deals my way for the residential side, we land up to 70K for construction loans. That is Bridgeline Rentals with an S as one word at gmail.com. Awesome. That's amazing. Thank you for coming on the podcast today, the Journey to Developer podcast. I love your play on words. Everyone, I said I was doing the Journey to Developer, Developer, get it, and everybody. Right. <laughs> I want us to start this podcast to really showcase women. I'm probably going to have men on here in the future, but probably. showcase women, particularly Black women in this development space is not a lot of us out there so when i saw you i'm like who is this lady even though i don't even know how i found you to be honest you just oh, media works. <laughs> i think it was a hashtag real estate development or developer I I was I was like, okay. she, she's doing it looks like you're doing commercials this is amazing let me just go in her inbox and see if we can connect and thank you for deciding to even connect with me in the first place and then come in on the podcast, share your journey with us. It's been a pleasure. 
I learned a lot and it was a pleasure to meet you and hopefully we'll meet face to face in the future. Yes, after post COVID. <laughs> yes, yes, absolutely. And yeah. hopefully we'll be able to discuss projects and even get advice from each other in the near future. Awesome. Thank you so much. All right. God bless and we'll talk soon.